I'm Dinah Pat, and you're listening to Brothers On Air. Welcome to the sixth episode of Brothers On Air, a podcast dedicated to bringing you classic radio shows as performed by the youth of the 21st century. This podcast is a project of CBHS Theatre, run by John Smiley. It stars our own Brothers On Stage talent and is directed, produced, and edited by students. All material is used for educational purposes and is not for profit. This week's show takes us back to 1951. Professor Warren's Romantic Folly was released as an episode of the radio program The Halls of Ivy, which followed the lives of a British couple, Dr. and Mrs. William Todd Hunter Hall. Dr. Hall is the president of a small college in the fictional town of Ivy, and his wife, Victoria, is a former musical comedy star. The Halls were played by married couple Ronald Coleman and Benita Hume. The show featured a cast of characters from the Halls' lives. This show gives an insight into what a so-called classic American couple was like in the 1950s. Today's show stars Katie Cotton as Victoria, Blake Lira as Dr. Hall, Carter Strickland as Professor Warren, Nina Grizzle as Fern, and Jeb Bryan as the announcer. Now, let's see what the Halls are up to today. Welcome again to Ivy, Ivy College that is, in the little town of Ivy, USA. For many families, breakfast is a small pandemonium filled with the clatter of cups, the confusion of tongues, desperate last gulps of scorching coffee, and the mad dash to the bus station. But for Dr. William Todd Hunter Hall, president of Ivy, and his wife, Victoria, it's usually an unrifled few moments put aside for their private lives. This morning, for instance, Victoria is arranging a bowl of flowers on the table while Dr. Hall is thoughtfully staring at a highly polished spoon. There now, nothing like a few well-raised renuncu, renun, and what's the plural of renunculus, Toddy? Well, you could express it in three different ways. One, Latin, ranunculae. Two, English, ranunculus. Three, idiomatic. Ah, some of these pretty whatchamacallits. Oh, yes, I'll take the idiotic way. But they do make a pretty centerpiece, don't they? <laughs> they do indeed. Yes, they start the morning off very well. But it is the picture of Victoria, well and beautifully arranged in the opposite chair, which sustains me for the rest of the day. Oh, darling, I do feel lovely and conceited. At breakfast, too. <laughs> Where my emotions for you are concerned, the time of day is unimportant. My heart ticks away, but it strikes no hours. Besides, I've never subscribed to the popular belief, originated by some sour cynic and perpetrated by a comic strip artist, that the breakfast table is necessarily a battleground, strewn with bad manners and resounding with the clash of personalities. That's because you are a dear, love. As my father used to say, the world would be a happier place if people would start the day by drinking a toast to someone rather than just eating with someone. Oh, that's a wonderful idea. A toast. Here's to William, the light of my life, from a woman who is extremely happy that I happen to be his wife. Well, the meter may be a little bit ragged, but the sentiment is sincere. <laughs> well, the meter doesn't matter as long as I did. Did what? Meet her. Oh, I'm glad you did, too. And not to interrupt a nice sentimental conversation, but may I ask why you keep staring into that teaspoon? Hmm? What's the matter with it? 
Do you want a clean one? No, 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 no. Uh, it's quite clean and handsomely polished. No, I was merely fascinated by the optical illusion caused by the reflections in a concave surface. In it, I am upside down. It's very refreshing. Refreshing? Yes. It's a matter of perspective, of course, but any device which can show things in a new light is both stimulating and therapeutic. Ah, you mean, if the world could see itself reflected in a teaspoon, it might stop waving its knives. Something like that, yes. And then, too, there's the school of thought which believes that standing one's head early in the morning is stimulating to the brain. It seems good for... I'll toss you to see who walks to the front door on his hands. Have you got a quarter? <laughs> no, so I'll volunteer. If it's a salesman working his way through college, tell him so are we. Well, Professor Warren, it's good to see you. Come in, come in. I know it's an unholy hour to call, Doc, but I'm on a tight schedule today. Good morning, Mrs. Hall. Oh, well, hello, stranger. Come in and join us for a cup of coffee. All right, Mrs. Hall, but only four teaspoons full. Put down the shades. I've already had my allowance this morning. That housekeeper of mine counts every sip I swallow. I think she's in the secret service of my life insurance company. <laughs> <laughs> and how is the faithful Miss Prentice? Minding my business as usual. How are you nice people? Much better now that our favorite history professor has finally decided to pay us a visit. Here's your coffee. Oh, a full cup. Thanks for contributing to my delinquency. <laughs> I never realized how much I miss you, too. Since I've been fighting with the publishers of that nauseating monstrosity of mine, which appeared under the revolting pen name of Llewellyn Lafayette, now they want me to answer all of his fan mail. Gee. But I understood you had become reconciled to your triumph as a popular novelist. Oh yes, but who am I kidding? I'm a glorious failure wallowing in a disgusting success. And you love it. It obviously agrees with you. Yes, yes. Now tell us, Professor. How was your lecture tour this summer? Well, Doc, after autographing the umpteenth thousandth copy of The Heart of Passion, I kidded myself into believing that the honking gander that was old Professor Warren had suddenly become the singing swan that is Llewellyn Lafayette. <laughs> <laughs> Say, Mrs. Hall, before I forget what I really came here for, have you got a lace tablecloth I can borrow? A lace tablecloth? Why, of course, and you're more than welcome to it. And maybe four fancy napkins. I know I'm more the arsenic than the old lace type, but frankly, I didn't know where to go on such short notice. Well, I'm glad you came to us. But you sound so desperate about it. Yes, are you testing a new washing powder to win a prize? You know, I like Quincy Rinzies because in 25 words or less. Nope, so nothing as easy as that. I'm giving an unexpected dinner tomorrow night, and I need you two even more than your tablecloth. Oh, that's an irresistible invitation, Professor. Thank you. About seven. Black tie, if, you can, if I can find mine. <laughs> so long, folks. I got to meet a plane. Goodbye, Goodbye, Professor. How about that new pinstriped suit and the flower in his buttonhole?
Yes. And the haircut. You don't think he's beginning to believe his own publicity, do you? Something's happened. I'm familiar with this contempt for convention. But ah, this anxiety of his about a lace tablecloth is a new and baffling fact of his character. And he was so anxious about it, he forgot to take it with him. I have finally met an absent-minded professor. This dinner. It seems to be an affair of state. Vicky, I wonder if it could be his publisher who is coming. Well, absent-minded professor regains memory. You get the door, Toddy, and I'll get the tablecloth. Ah, uh, your tablecloth, I presume, Professor? Yep. Guess I left my head at home this morning. Doc, I used to think I remembered everything. Now I realize I just ignored everything I forgot. <laughs> yes, man doesn't realize how much he is indebted to his subconscious. He can do something without knowing why and find several splendid reasons for having done it. It may account for many of history's heroes. Here you are, Professor, and the napkins. Thanks, Mrs. Hall. Um, it's going to be a party, mind you. In fact, just you two. And, uh, eh, Fern. Fern? Yes, Mrs. Winthrop. Mrs. Winthrop? Have we met her? No, I was going to keep her secret until the psychological moment, but... I guess I'd better prepare you for the shock. Don't ask me how it happened, but I've got me a lady friend. Oh, why, that's wonderful, Professor Warren. I wouldn't call it shocking, but it is a delightful surprise. Congratulations. Well, thanks. In a way, you might say it was a forgotten moment in my past. I caught up with me in, of all places, Selena, Kansas. I was out there on my lecture tour. Burns quite the literary light out there, you know. President of the Byron Society, no less. A widow. Oh, well, this is the time to go widow shopping. Just before Christmas. <laughs> ah, yes. Charming woman. Seems to grasp things. Insight, sympathy, genuine enthusiasm. Never known a woman quite like Fern. Which could be explained by the fact that I've never known very many women. Oh, but Fern, wait until you see her. We'll be looking forward to meeting her. Is she staying here in Ivy Long? Uh, oh, yes, yes. She's visiting with relatives, and she, uh, that is, I persuaded her to stop over at Ivy and see our campus. And? What? What did you say? Well, uh, would you like me to wrap up the tablecloth and napkins? Oh, no, I haven't the time, Mrs. Hall. If any of the nosy neighbors see me, I'll just tell them I've started taking washing. Won't startle them half as much as the truth. Well, I've got to be going. Bye, Professor. Well, Mrs. Winthrop explains everything. Yes, this would be the place to say, well, what do you know? If either of us ever said, well, what do you know? <laughs> yes. Which neither one of us would be caught dead saying, which is the first time I've ever said caught dead. Don't worry, your secret is safe with me. I suppose I'm slightly staggered by the news that the last of the incorrigible bachelors has thrown in the sponge. <laughs> yes, it looks like the last of the tobacco-chewing professors is going to have to switch to bubblegum. <laughs> but Professor Warren, he was the one man who always seemed to be self-sufficient, self-reliant and a self-contained entity. Ah, Vicky, I'm afraid he's uh, got it bad. If your it refers to what I think it refers to, and you got it bad enough, 
It isn't bad, it's good. And now, let's return to the Halls of Ivy. Dr. and Mrs. Hall are in the, on Professor Warren's parlor, becoming acquainted with his lady friend, Mrs. Fern Winthrop. Well, it's been a long time since you've been in my house, folks. Joseph has told me so much about you two that I feel as though I've always known you. Well, since Professor Warren always unvarnishes the truth, Mrs. Winthrop, that leaves us without a pretense to stand on. It puts us at a disadvantage that he told you all about us, but kept you a big secret. Well, Mrs. Hall, you know I suffer from a kind of natural shyness. Yes. I almost said diffidence, but diffidence is used to describe someone's bad manners. Oh, <laughs> your shyness is one of your sweetest qualities, Joseph. It's what I remembered most about you. Uh, Fern sees me through the wrong end of the telescope. <laughs> it was way back over 40 years ago. I was just a mere wide-eyed child. I remember it as vividly as though it were yesterday. Isn't it wonderful how fate kept us apart over the years, just so we can meet again at the age of discretion? I don't believe that fate is really blind. Do you, Dr. Hall? I... Mm. Well, it may be due to my own blindness, Mrs. Winthrop. But I think the best way to keep fate on your side is to have faith. <laughs> good, good. Very nice. Well, fate sure lowered the boom on us tonight. Of all the times, Burr just has to go and get a sick sister or something. Now, Joseph, tell them the truth. They might as well know that your housekeeper simply walked out on you. Mrs. Hall, you have no idea how insolent she was to him. If there's anything that I loathe, it's a woman who bullies a man. Oh, Joseph, dear, I meant the silver-leafed ashtrays, not those old chipped glass ones. Couldn't find them, Fern. Well, never mind, dear. I always say that if a man can't be the master in his own house, well then, I think... <laughs> oh, there I go. I haven't let anyone else get a word in edgewise. When I get started on the subject of Joseph Warren, I never know when to stop. Oh, you needn't stop, Mrs. Winthrop. He's one of our favorite subjects, too. With the added advantage that you can discuss him in mixed company. Doc, if I'm going to be in a fishbowl, everybody else has to... got to dive in it with me. Yes, fishbowl, that's it. I knew something was missing in this room. What happened to it, Professor? Well, we... well, um, the fish were getting tired of looking at me anyway, so I threw them out, <laughs> along with that leather chair of mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mrs. Hall, the minute I stepped into this room, I could sense the conflict. Ooh. Why, that hideous old chair quarreled with everything else in here. Mostly me. Ferns made me realize that the chair is a story of my life. Comfortable, hide-bound, and sagging. When I saw Joseph this summer, he kept apologizing for his age, and I said, Age is only a habit. Now that chair was one of his habits. <laughs> Joseph has a whole new life ahead of him, and I don't just mean because of his novel. There's a real poetry in Joseph. I don't claim to be any Lord Byron, but I used to be pretty good at limericks. Wrote one about you once, Doc. <gasps> really? Can you remember it? Can a mother forget her children? Certainly I remember it. <clears throat> Will Hall, Ph.D. and M.A. Solves 
difficult problems each day to keep his school in the groove. Which just goes to prove he's the will that proves there's a way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Very flattering, Professor. <laughs> it's refreshing to be the subject of a limerick that can be quoted without sending the children out of the room. <laughs> Well, I'm so glad you mentioned Byron, Joseph. I can't wait to talk to you people about him. He's my subject, you know. I can quote him for hours and hours if I get started. Oh, oh, you people must be starving. Of course, I hadn't expected to cook dinner tonight, but when that woman left so unexpectedly... Is there something I can do to help, Mrs. Winthrop? I used to slice bread quite neatly until the bakers, in a fit of jealousy, started selling it already cut. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, thank you. It's all in the oven. It'll be done in 15 minutes or so. I do have a few canopies. Will you excuse me? And Joseph? Yes? Would you mind helping me, dear? Make herself at home, folks. Coming fern. I love that old leather chair, Toddy. It was the nicest thing in this whole room. Yes, it was comfortable, wasn't it? And Burgess was a very valuable woman. Mm-hmm. I miss the fish, too. Such good little things. They never jumped in your lap to have their ears scratched. Oh, dear. I hope first impressions won't last. Oh, Vicky. I'm reminded of a scene in my parents' living room. I brought one of my first girls home to meet them. Of course, mind you, mind you, it never amounted to anything. You don't have to explain, darling, at this late date. I was both apprehensive and defensive. I so wanted my mother and father to approve. Well, come on, what did they do? Nothing. Very effectively and with great charm, they did nothing, and it broke the spell. Hmm. I learned then that non-intervention in matters romantic is the highest form of diplomacy, and the course of true love is not banked on the sharp turns. And it seems to me, Mrs. Winthrop, though it was most remarkable, was that despite his impatience and solvent technique, Byron's temperament and vigor gave his verse timber all of its own. Take the momentum of his anabest, for instance, I enter thy garden of roses, or better still, the Assyrian came down like the wolf on the fold. And his cohorts were gleaming in purple and gold, and the sheen of their spears was like stars on the sea. Well, bravo, Mrs. Hall. Better than lovely delivery. You should have gone on the stage. <laughs> I gave it some thought at one time. You should have obeyed those impulses, dear. Ah, Joseph, do you remember the first time I read that poem to you? Yep, I remember. And best of all, of course, is the one that every woman wishes was written for her. She walked in beauty like the night of the cloudless climes and starry skies. And all that's best in dark and bright meet in her aspect and your eyes. Thus mellowed to tender light which heavens to gaudy day denies. <laughs> oh, what fun! You see, Joseph, this is what I meant by the companionship I said you needed. Well, Fern, I guess I'm not as pig-headed about poetry as I used to be. Ah, Mrs. Winthrop, you are a remarkable woman. <laughs> you have accomplished the impossible. I have been able to discuss a good many things with my friend here, but every time I mentioned a poet, especially one of the romantics, the wall of indifference became impenetrable. 
Oh, congratulations, Professor. And welcome to our Association for Incurable Romantics. <laughs> well, we're certainly all in tune with each other tonight, aren't we? Through poetry, we are part of the larger harmonies around us. Poetry helps to brighten up the world for us, doesn't it, Dr. Hall? Yes, yes. Um, a poet himself once observed that if you take an old, dull brown penny and rub it vigorously with wet sand, the penny will come out a bright gold color, looking as clean and new as the day it was minted. Poetry has the same effect on words, and our world, as wet sand on pennies. on earth is that so early on a Sunday morning? Shall I get it, Toddy? No, darling. It must be the paper boy, and I have the change right here. All right. Why, good morning, Professor Warren. Wet sand, old, dull, brown pennies. <laughs> come in, come in. I don't want to be brightened up. Oh, good morning, Mrs. Hall. Well, sit down, Professor. You look tired. I ought to be. Spent most of the night swimming the hell's pot. Thought I was Lord Byron, but I ain't Lord Byron, so I turned back. Then I got stuck in miles and miles of wet sand. I woke up. It was 3 a.m. I couldn't get back to sleep. So I came over to tell you folks that I woke up. Well, good morning, Professor. I want to know one thing, Doc. Are you trying to marry me off to that... that... What sand? Oh, I'll have to parry the question with another, Professor. Why do you assume that I should be trying to marry you off to anybody? <laughs> Doc, what happened to me? Does the brain really soften when the arteries start to harden? I guess if I had any blood left in me, I'd be blushing with shame. What for? The only thing worth blushing for. Sheer stupidity. For not recognizing that the spots in front of my eyes were just plain dust without any stars in them. And for leading on a kind and pleasant woman, I can only redeem myself now by saving her from an unhappy life with me. Mrs. Winthrop seemed to be extremely happy with you last night. Not when I took my charm off. What did you do? I just stopped being Llewellyn Lafayette and became Joe Warren again. First I told her what I thought of Byron. It was plenty. It was not enough. Then I told her I wanted my bad habits back. The leather chair, for one, and the fish. But what really threw her was when I took out my plug of chewing tobacco. You see, I got honest again, Doc. You folks know that I am a pretty cranky old man when I'm true self. No, we don't know anything of the kind. Frankly, I agree with what Miss Winthrop said about you. What? Well, you do have poetry in... No. How you express yourself. I've learned that if one looks over the wall, however high and insurmountable it may seem, one will always find the gardens in the heart of any man. Well, maybe, Doc, but we don't all grow roses, do we? Maybe some of us just have a small backyard with one shade tree and have grown so used to it alone that we don't know how to share it anymore. Well, so long, folks. Goodbye, Professor. Goodbye, Professor. And we are glad you're back. Thanks. Maybe you two didn't have anything to do with saving me and Fern from a fate worse than... But I want to thank you anyway. Because I think maybe you did. And to quote Byron for the last time, 
Maybe I am ashes where I once was fire. But when you get along toward winter, there's nothing like ashes to keep you from slipping. Oh, Toddy, your policy of non-intervention seems to have been a diplomatic triumph. Yes, yes. I've always believed that the unknown sculptor of the Venus de Milo deliberately left it incomplete. Why? To show the world that the goddess of love recommends a hands-off policy. It might also show why Cupid never wears any clothes. Love should have nothing up its sleeve. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Brothers On Air, Professor Warren's Romantic Folly, written by Jerome Lawrence and Robert Lee. It was directed and edited by Dinah Pat and starred Katie Cotton, Blake Lyra, Carter Strickland, Nina Grizzle, and Jeb Bryan, with music from the Free Music Archive. This has been a CBHS Theatre production.